And welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Ooh. Oh, yeah. The Dicer Moaning. Yeah, because they're haunted. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the Dicer Haunted, not just screaming. <laughs> hey, I'm ready. I am provably Mike. All right. Yeah, Arguably, I'm... but still provably. Yeah, that, it, it's been confirmed. So, I, I have no choice. I got to cop to it. All right. Well, it's spooky season, and welcome to yet another podcast where we cover spooky topics. Now, last week we got some call-ins from both Joe and Jason. Oh, bravo. Yeah, so um, we'll put get to them in just a minute. Also, just letting you know that uh, this episode is going to be uh, brought to you by Wizards of the Coast and Chris Estrad Revamped, and also uh, Magic Cards being traded in for credit. Yeah, I, I cashed in some of my private stash, and I acquired the box edition of Curse of Strahd, revamped. Yeah, we were going to cover just, you know, the uh, get, a, get a copy of the uh, regular old 5e uh, Curse of Strahd adventure, and, well, you really uh, outdone yourself this time, Mr. Hanna. Well, they had swept off the shelves, so the lesser copy, uh, the, the more familiar single-volume copy of Curse of Strahd was not actually available to me. And uh, I beefed up my total quantity of store credit uh, and went ahead and got myself the magnificent box edition of Curse of Strahd Revamped, uh, which yeah. I got to say, it's a lovely piece of work. Uh, yeah. Little little pricey. I, I, I feel like people, obviously, if you're planning to just play and you're not a collector, then I highly recommend the more familiar uh simple copy which i mean retail you know what is it uh, about 45 to 50 dollars times mm -hmm. yep uh, that's all you're in now you know for the collector I, I gotta say this is not a bad buy it is sure pretty looking yeah so, so we're gonna talk we're about we're gonna be peeking at we're, we're gonna look at curse of strahd overall but there will be some side notation on the curse of strahd revamped box edition yeah and um for anybody curious, you can look at our, some of our back episodes where we've covered Ravenloft, and obviously we'll touch on it, but only briefly here. But first, let's get to those call-ins. So, yeah! First, we're going to go with Joe Richter calling in to let us know what he thought about our scary monsters and more revisitation again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Number two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, two, subsection C. All right. Take it away, Joe. Yo, what's up, boys? I absolutely loved uh, your second annual Spooky Monster episode. It was fantastic. And your talk of Hellhounds reminded me of a fun little encounter I ran in Pathfinder 2. So in Pathfinder 2, there are Hellhounds. Then there are the juiced-up, buffed-up, supercharged version of the Hellhound called the Nessian Warhounds. And so the beauty of those monsters is that they are immune to fire and they have a breath weapon. But that breath weapon only charges every D6 round. So you might only get it off once per encounter. However, the synergy lies in that immunity to fire. Because if the uh, Nessian Warhound or Hellhound takes fire damage, their breath weapon recharges automatically. So you either have the Hellhounds catching each other in their breath weapon. Or what I did was team them up with a fury devil called the Arenas that shot flaming arrows. And he just flew over and shot them and recharged their breath weapon. Peace out. All right, Joe, that sounds great, man. Nessian Hellhounds. Yeah. I'm, that is they're... primo DM jerk mode. Yeah, I discovered I them back in uh, third edition. But, uh, yeah, there's they've been in all versions of Pathfinder. Well, 
all one version. But yeah, man, um, I like the new mechanic in second edition about them being able to recharge their breath weapons. So yeah, flying hellhounds are always my favorite. <laughs> but they fly now. Yeah. What? I didn't know that. <laughs> flying freaking hellhounds. You, your day just got worse. Oh, oh man. I had not realized that that was an aspect of the new hell. Well, way to soup them up. Okay, that's some supercharged hellhounds there. Oh, that that sounds exceedingly intimidating. Front of flying freaking heckhounds, heckin' hounds. <laughs> Those sure are some heckin' hounds. All right, I'm done. So yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Glad you enjoyed the episode and glad uh, that you shared with us. Uh, that is definitely one for the ages to write down in your DM's dirty trick books. Put them with an Aranese with those flaming attacks, and you've got yourself a good, good solid encounter that's just going to catch the players on fire or wish they had those rings of elemental resistance fire. Oh, man, just little flame bolts recharging the hellhounds again and again. Yeah, keep on using that machine gun mm. breath weapon. <laughs> All right, and also we have a call in from Jason. Sounds like Jason had a uh, fun night. Uh, that's... Uh, his uh well hell we'll just let jason speak for himself hey guys i almost had to call in a rant about you going after scooby-doo but you pulled back so i'll give you a pass on that let me listen to the rest of the show enjoying the topic so far just be careful you can't be going after our childhood idols like that just kidding with you let, let me listen to the rest of the show okay guys that's a good recovery love kolchak course i've got and maybe they're out on blue right now i've got dvds of both of the movies you know the tv movies the entire series i even bought some of the is it moonstone press Wh whatever company is that was putting some kolchak novels out there maybe they, or they still are you can buy them on like drive through rpg not drive through rpg well i guess it is but they have like a book version of drive through rpg but, but i've got hard copies of them so i guess you can buy them on amazon too but anyway yeah love kolchak love them to death always have so, looking forward to it. Okay, back to your episode. All in all, pretty excellent episode. Another game that I thought had great monsters was Beyond the Supernatural from Palladium Games. You can say what you want about the Palladium system, but their settings were really great. And Beyond the Supernatural had some really freaky stuff in there. As far as possession goes, though, I, I think it depends how you play it. You know, if you have mature players, when, when you possess a character... You still let the player play them. You just change what their, you know, what their directives are, right? So, so you tell the player, you know, you can pull them aside if you want, or pass them a note, or however you're gonna do it. But listen, you're possessed now. This is your character's goal. You know, this is your character's new operating instructions, and then you let the player play them. So the player doesn't have to sit there twiddling their thumbs while the GM plays the possessed character. The player can still play the possessed character. You, you know what I mean? So they don't have to sit out the game. But great show. Looking forward to the Cole Shack episode. All right, Jason. Yeah, man. Well, got all, all, all over the board on that one. But yeah, uh, Scooby-Doo, uh, <laughs> we do kind of, yeah, we do pick on them. But uh, hey, th th there's some uh, definite camp there. And it's definitely come down to the fact that. Uh, it's oh, it's a love affair. It's a uh, trope, yeah. Th with the classic trope. And I mean, I think the wonderful thing about using them as a point of reference is that here we are, uh, you know, Gen Xers crossing a certain age barrier, uh, and 
here is this reference point that people like even a decade older than us and three decades younger than us all still get. You know, when you make use of the tropes from uh, one single show, you know, Scooby-Doo connects to multiple generations. I mean, spreading across almost 50 years. That's amazing! Which also makes it kind of low-hanging fruit, but it's, it's become kind of its own lingua franca. If you mention it, everybody in the room understands you. Yep, That's what I love they're about right it. on it. So, you know, we mock, but we mock with great reverence, awe, and respect. Well, I think respect. Yeah. I don't know reverence or awe, but hey, you know, teach their own. Well, it's not above criticism, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the point being, uh, everybody in the room gets it. And that is just, to me, that is actually a more important achievement than sure. a lot of other things. And then, uh, yeah, I'm glad... Uh, you like our mention of Kolchak. I was just re- uh, catching up on some episodes myself, and uh, that's what caused us to really sit down and start thinking about it. And, you know, we really, we touch on it, but we never really cover it, so it's time we do. Especially when we talk about the Call of Cthulhu investigative uh, approach to uncovering ho- the horrific monster of the week in there. That... And when you consider, like, the tie-ins to D&D, you know, like the... That little ones, you know, little yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, you can tell that was it was in the cultural zeitgeist, you know. Yeah, we 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 really do it, owe it to um, do some coverage. So hopefully you'll like it. Um, as far as uh, like beyond the supernatural and other things like that, yeah, you know, um, he uh, oh, um, Jason mentioned that uh, you know the Beyond the Call of the Supernatural was another yeah. one of those games, and yeah, you know, I just. Um, even though Palladium Games just down the road from us, well, down the road, like, it's, like, what, 90 minutes away at the most. Where is it at? Over in Detroit. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll be doggone. Yeah, they're right across from us on the other side. Um, I've gone to some marvelous game conventions in Detroit. I hadn't realized Palladium was situated mm-hmm. that closely. Yeah, I just never really got much of a chance to uh, I'll play it, and, you know, um... Kind of stacked up against Call of Cthulhu. It's you know it, it's kind of the B team, but you know to... it has a good it has a good set of monsters and and ideas on how to approach. It's definitely uh, ahead of its time when when they were punching up against Call of Cthulhu. I'm gonna have to take a look at it because I don't have the literacy yeah. on that specific system to make any judgments. So. I inherited a rule book years ago and then it's drifted back out of my possession again. But I, I thought the approach to the horror uh, was it contains stuff that like man, this is some good advice that should be in the Call of Cthulhu and then uh, Keeper's Guide and then they uh, yeah, they did follow up on that but yeah, they did it first and so there's a nod of the hat that needs, or tip of the hat, nod of the head, whatever you'd like. Hey, you know, it's zombie season, so, you know, sometimes when you nod your head or tip your hat, you know. <laughs> the brains fall out. Yep, so. <laughs> That's how it goes for me, at least. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks a lot, Jason. So, yeah. All right, so to beat around the bush some more, what is the portents call for our next <sighs> The Oneromancer has been retired. He was trying to read the birds, and he failed last week. So, you know, I'm, I'm giving him the bird. Oh. Uh, the Oneromancer is out. Now it's time for the Tassiomancer. 
Well, I'll be reading the coffee grounds left over from my excess caffeination. Because Mountain Dew leaves no residue. I mean, well, well none that like can be ciphered through. Yeah, I'm sure there's some in my kidneys, but that's about it. Uh, no, the Tassiomancer examines the grounds. And he has determined that Kolchak the Night Stalker is indeed up for ah. next week. Yes. Yeah, we're finally, at, like per the, the call that we just had, uh, there's an enormous enthusiasm here for that because, uh, you know, being kids in that time period, catching the reruns, uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker was just one of those rarefied treats. Uh, just something that, if you were a kid uh, in, like, that early 80s era, uh, there were no replacements for Kolchak the Night Stalker. That. The material was so limited. The kind of shows that were out at the time really didn't... Well, there was Night Gallery. There was... Uh... You got a few haunty, creepy shows, and that's all you had. Uh, Dark Shadows. Yeah, the Dark Shadows, but there's another... Wasn't there another... Um... No, that was pretty much it. I think Night Gallery, and uh, you're right. Uh, Dark Shadows... You move a little further along, and the door begins to open after Kolchak the Night Stalker, okay? Uh, after its cult popularity, you start to see... There was a trend hitting in that once you move into the mid-80s. Oh, yeah, like Cliffhangers, see, that one well, uh, you, show. You started to see uh, Forever Night, and, oh, well, yeah. and eventually um, the Highlander series, and... You know, the, the shows with an element of the supernatural and the periodic appearance of monsters, you began to see that emerge at that end of the 80s, just as we're coming into the cusp of the 90s. And then X-Files took off huge right? and, like, dominated the, the landscape. And people kind of forgot about the bad old days when there was nothing like that on TV at all. But if we go back to Kolchak the Night Stalker, I mean, here's a thing that just... It had this huge impact. So we're going to give it our all next week. We're going right. to really tear Well, it we've already given you a, a taste, so yeah, hopefully just... you tune in. So, all right. Well, off to the main event. We're talking about the Curse of Strahd revamped and mainly the adventure. So, fifth edition. Uh, this and if was we a... fail to do it justice, remember, <laughs> you can expect no less from the second level mage that only memorized floating disc and mending. Of gaming uh, podcasts. Not even light. <laughs> light? That would be useful. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's us. Theoretically useful. If you've torn a garment. Sure. But anyway, let's get into it. Curse of Strahd uh, is a, an adventure book came out originally back in 2016. Uh, it was ripping off the Ravenloft module back in... Uh, what, 83? Yeah. Yeah, 83, 84 by uh, Tracy Hickman and uh, and company. Um, the original material. Laura Hickman, yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah, his wife. Uh, the, the, the Laura lady. Yeah, his wife. So, yeah, th that has its own story, and we've covered that before. You can see the podcast if you just scroll down yeah, the list there. It's deeply beloved. It's a cherished part of gamer history. And, you know, like for those wondering, like, uh, how do you feel about it being re-released yet again for this edition? 100% in favor. Yeah, they came out with a revamp back in 2nd edition when they came out with the Ravenloft box set, one of my favorite ones for 2nd edition. That initial, that gothic horror, 
Yeah, they didn't go for the gore or the creepy existentialism of Cthulhu. No. They went right for a deep jugular, <laughs> no pun intended, of gothic horror. Boy, what a rich, deep history, those illustrations. And, of course, they had several revisitations to Straw. They had a second edition revision that was pretty faithful to the original. This is kind of like years after. It's one of those things where, like, it's not the next, it's not a reimagining. It's like ten years later. <laughs> Strahd, two, return of Strahd. Um, the rebitinating. So once again, we're just gonna just, we're gonna <laughs> throw this out here. You're intending to play it, and this is the season <laughs> to play it. And you're looking to run your group through it, or you're a player, and your DMs are looking to run you through it. Hey, if you're DMs, stick right here. We we got your back. But if you're a player, um, hey, wait until you played it, and then come back and listen. You can listen to our old Ravenloft and. Uh, uh, previous episode, but yeah. there will be spoilers. We're just letting you know. So. Gotta let it just be perfectly candid about it. Uh, blessedly, this product has been out for a few years, so we don't feel too bad about doing some spoilers. But yes, uh, those expecting to play sometime very soon, uh, give it a little pass. You know, give this a pass. <clears throat> so, once again, adventurers are mysteriously drawn to the realm of Barovia, where... The deadly fog brings you in, and you must face the vampire Strahd von Zarovich, who will put a size 11 Barovian leather shoe right up your ass if you don't <laughs> get in there and start doing what you're supposed to. Yes, it is a little bit of a structured event, but there is some unique things, just like the original, that make it different every time you play. Yes, you must fight him, and but in this one, you just like the other... In some ways, you don't have to kill him. You just have to undo the curse. And that therein lies the charm of the title. The Curse of Strahd Revamped, which Mike has been able to purchase, is a little different than the original book. And uh, Mike, why don't you tell us what it comes with there and uh, oh. talk about the components before we uh, get into a deep dive on this. Yeah, before we get into a deep dive on the basic Curse of Strahd, the Curse of Strahd Revamped. Uh, comes in a coffin-shaped container yeah, it, with uh, some beautiful and elaborate uh, artwork on the exterior. Featuring the motif of the Ravenloft. Yeah, the, the classic the castle emblem. itself, excuse me. Uh, and within it is contained uh, not merely the standard you know, adventure book, which in this case is a softback edition, uh, but also the additional parts, a... You know, creatures booklet. Yeah, which uh, is nice. And the eight-page instruction manual for the Tarokat decks. Uh, there is a cover sheet inside uh, the package, so that when you open this, uh, you have when you lift the lid of the coffin, so to speak. Uh, inside lies Strahd himself in repose, and on the back of that cover sheet is his complete stats and breakdown as a character sheet. So, uh, cute. I, I really, I like that. I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah. It's a it, minor it, side note. When you, when you open it up, you see him just laying right there. So, and on the back, of course, is his stats, which, hey, makes it more than just window dressing. It actually makes it functional. A terrific four-screen, uh, or you know, rather, I should say, four-panel DM screen. Uh, included Very in reminiscent of that original artwork out of uh, the Ravenloft box set. Yeah, it 
it decidedly is setting appropriate for the DM who intends to run this. Uh, there are four sheets of player handouts, double-sided poster map showing the domain of Barovia on one side and Castle Ravenloft itself on the other, a 54 Taroka card deck, uh, and of course a lovely box in which that is placed. And then it comes with a dozen postcards, three copies each of four different cards, which you can use to invite friends to your game formally, uh, in a very classy way, uh, you know, for spooky gaming. Mm. You have been invited for this most unusual of events. Uh, now, <laughs> uh, all of this is wonderfully contained inside that magnificently decorated box. Uh, the contents of the Curse of Strahd revamped uh, do not differ greatly from the initial release. Of Curse yeah, of but having the, the, the monsters separate is yeah. a kind of better call, I think, and uh, a lot more functional overall. Um, because this, there is some snippets inside of Curse of Strahd that allow you to continue playing your, your players so choose and don't run fleeing at the first opportunity from the clutches of the Mists of Ravenloft. I should mention a, a slight difference. I mean, the, the Mists of Barovia uh, in the earliest edition, you know, Ravenloft was always, the characters are dropped into this place. Right. Uh, and they, that's where they launch. Um, in this most recent edition of Curse of Strahd slash Ravenloft, uh, Ravenloft is treated very much as a setting and campaign with the more familiar mm. concept of characters starting low and working their way up. Uh, it's less focused on strong characters being dropped in and then facing a comparatively brief series of significant challenges, ending in combat with Strahd. Uh, Randy very adeptly mentioned one core difference, which is to break Strahd's curse. Does not narrowly have to end in the death of Strahd. Yeah, you, you, the uh, the original module had that too, and a lot of people think it's a, you know, well, you must fight him. Well, yeah, he's going to oppose you, but you don't necessarily have to beat him. Now, in in fairness, difference in editions have given Strahd different powers, and there's different people who look at him in different ways. I would like to say that in this version, I am very happy with their treatment of Strahd. He doesn't feel well, he is overpowered. Let's, you know, he can legendary powers. He can make three saving throws a day. Just make him. Yeah, the point being that, you know, he's meant to torment the player characters. He's, you know, in the hands of an adept DM who can exercise the self restraint necessary. Uh, Strahd is a terrible opponent to face because he's not out to destroy you. He's out to frustrate you, to extinguish your hope, to taunt mm -hmm. you, and to lord over you the fact that. He is much more powerful than you are. He uh, is the master of the domain, and you will recognize his authority here. Yeah, you better recognize, because he is... <laughs> uh, you have to work really hard to honk him off. Uh, uh, enough to, you know, guarantee a character killing. Yeah, he will... Uh... In this one, it's guaranteed that you're going to run across uh, Barovia's number one villain and uh he is as mike said gonna lord it over you but that's the whole point is if he wanted to annihilate you or if you were really that much of a threat oh yeah the the 
the play time, the playing and toying would end. Yeah. I mean, it, it should be semi-obvious that at the outset of this, especially when it's launched for campaign play, level one characters are no match. You know, if you were to play it as though Strahd will brook no opposition of any kind and does not find it amusing, if you play it like that, Strahd appears and eats six brand new first level characters. Yeah, you'd be gone in the first couple of rounds. So, you know, welcome to your five minute version of Curse of Strahd. Yeah, now, and if, if, as a DM, you can, if you want to play it like that, sure. But that's not what his character is. He finds it adorable. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. They have hope. Hey, like, hey, let's 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 let the marlin out. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna let the, the oh, line. Oh, you almost out. got it. Yeah, you're letting the line out. Ooh, 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 ooh. You're you're gonna get away from the boat. You're gonna yank. <laughs> uh, it should be a lengthy series of cat and mouse games where the string puller is Strahd himself. The minions go after you. You acquire some advantages, you make some allies, tragedy strikes, opposition. You you find yourself embroiled in an enormous (coughs) network of events, and that makes it a campaign-level event, not merely, like, we're going to find his castle and then go in there and beat him up. Sure, if players want to walk right up to Castle Ravenloft and say, come on, Strahd, fight. Okay, at that point, kid gloves, don't even play around. If they're that dumb, let them have it. However, if, if you're playing, if the players are playing it straight, yes, do not use Strahd as simply like, oh, look at what powerful monster I can get. Yeah, it's, no kidding. He's a brute. But nonetheless, the basic plot is still the same out of this. That Strahd, yet again, is going to be tormented with the great curse that he's under. And really, that's the thing that happens here. You know, the, the Master Ravenloft is having guests for dinner, and you were invited. So welcome back to Barovia, Curse of Strahd. It's it's on right from the beginning. And the basic plot is is that once again he rules over the Valley Kingdom of Barovia while lusting after Arena, a woman who looks strikingly similar to his long lost love, Titania. And as the venturers enter the scene, he engages them in a game of cat and mouse for his own amusement. And that's where the DM is given the specific instructions to be careful about overusing Strahd's ability. If he wanted to kill the players or felt that they were a threat, they would already be dead. Um, and so in here, that they, as they gain allies, the Taroka deck sets up a wonderful set of scenarios right from the beginning of three objects that can defeat Strahd and lift the curse. Yeah, making it a randomized element of the game. Uh, the objective being that the campaign will not play out precisely the same way each time you play it. Right, so like the Taroka deck says that I see the skeleton of a deadly warrior laying on a bed of stone flanked by gargoyles. And that's where the location of the sun's sword could be. Or search for the troubled young man surrounded by wealth and madness. His home is his prison. And that's where the icon of Ravenloft itself can be. Now he gives you, it, it, it sets it out, but everyone, you don't know where it's going to be, but they are key to specific areas inside the game so there's very good instructions but it lays it out in such a way that as the characters explore and look for these clues that each step they're going to be hounded by Strahd's minions or Strahd himself eventually yeah the importance of what they're going after should level up the types and strength of the various minions coming after them Uh, obviously you know it's 
not appropriate to hit like the newly level two party with hey entire werewolf pack that will come later <laughs> right werewolves do roam the woods and the Vistanti nomads are helpful but many of them too are also spies for Strahd yeah you know, like his agents operate among them with relative impunity but uh, allies can be found amongst them as well uh, you know, those empathetic and tired of the, the rule of uh, Count Strahd you know, more than willing to offer a discreet amount of assistance on the off hope that maybe these, you know, players will someday succeed and set Barovia free from its terrible lord. So, you know, that's not the only situation with allies involved. There are quite a few of them placed within uh, the, you know, the new version of Curse of Strahd. This is entirely intentional because it is understood from the outset that the players are badly outgunned by Strahd and his allies. And so opportunities for players who are playing smartly to slowly build alliances uh, to acquire advantage and support and safety and secure in the event that they need to hunker down for a while, you know, retrain, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Uh, the... New Curse of Strahd has been liberally peppered with places of interest and people who are empathetic to their cause. And I highly approve. Because right. the, original... the very earliest version, it's not like there were none, but it was not really as conducive for... Yeah, you met the Vistanti, you got a Taroka reading, you went into the village, and you maybe interacted with a few NPCs, and then it was a march right into the castle. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, uh, pull, fire, and then done. It was much, much more direct in that time. And this, this shows all the signs of careful and well-thought-out campaign play as a setting. Yeah, so in the area around, uh, you're given more than just, uh, of course, Castle Ravenloft, which is well-detailed in here. But uh, also you get a lot of other places to go. The town of Barovia, Vallaki, and Kresk are full of encounters, allies, and enemies. And the Bistani people in Vallaki and elsewhere in the adventure will be really fun to act out as the DM. Ham it up. Go ahead and have fun with that. Make sure that your players are uh, accordingly cool with any depictions. And, of course, wherever you can, try not to make people uncomfortable with overacting characters or stereotypes. But uh, that said, moving on. I personally just love to abuse, like, Andy Warhol's Dracula. <laughs> you know... You're used to it. Do you have any weirgens? <laughs> just, <laughs> just, I know, he, he's literally the eye roll on his face right now, if you could see it. It just doesn't it stop. It speaks volumes. Like a, an 18-set Encyclopedia Britannica of, like, I wish you wouldn't do that. It's a tell. <laughs> so... <clears throat> yeah. But, but these yeah, areas, yeah. there's a lot of areas. There's uh, exercise discretion and there's zombies, hags, ghosts, skeletons, ghouls, revenants all over the place. Two of the places I'd like to talk about are the old Bolden Grinder, a grain mill now home to three hags. Go ahead. I, I want to mention one facet of the entire campaign overarchingly uh, before we launch into this specific location. Uh, an important thing for players to realize that their dungeon master should have explained to them. Uh, at the onset of this campaign, point blank, it's okay to run. Okay? This is not a campaign where every 
situation is ideally going to be resolved with a total victory by the player mm -hmm. characters. There are many circumstances where the player characters may have to withdraw, or may have to face withdrawal, or may have to uh, face defeat, and then pull back, find a safe space, hunker down, work out a different plan, and come at it from another angle. Uh, whittle down or diminish their opponents instead of focusing on instantaneous, glorious battle and victory. Uh, so the goals that they set may have to be slightly different, and having a party that has been informed and had that explained to them from the outset may smooth over the way they, they plan things, and so you don't have, like, well, this is our sixth TPK. So now we launch into a very specific scenario that is wonderfully spooky and creepy. I love that you chose it. Well, yeah, I guess adding on to that, then uh, we're going to talk about that first. Uh, I, I kind of disagree. Uh, if they don't under, if they want to lock right up and just like keep fighting, and they wonder why they keep dying, um, I guess at the same point, uh, if a lot of DMs have legacy issues with, like I thought, uh, a couple reviews online about it early on, were particularly uh, they fell short because they pull on the trope that, oh, it's a railroad adventure. You're stuck there. You can't do anything. Yeah, the original one was like that. This yeah. is not like that. And so if the players don't want to engage, if you didn't want to play Ravenloft, then don't play Ravenloft, okay? Or play, in this case, the Ravenloft module, not the setting. But in this case, Curse of Strahd, you should have a session zero. And maybe we were remiss to uh, talk about that uh, at the first part, but I think in this one as a horror campaign... Um, in general, I think that uh, players should be ready to run. Um, uh, as I often make fun of people in Call of Cthulhu, boy, it, uh, it, the reason why I have such a, uh, a joy playing it is to just look on people's faces when they like, what, the first mo uh, encounter is with a Shoggoth in this campaign. What the hell were you thinking, Randy? And I'm like, well, um, it's horror, and you weren't expected to get across it. I mean, I kind of feel guilty maybe not having a better explanation of how monstrous some of these creatures can be but i mean well look I, I, you know when you when you when you throw a case of dynamite down there coated in kerosene and i just say it grins at you um look i believe in these session zero moment where you do explain to them that like they're gonna have to have adaptive tactics yep. and rethink this that's great, but I am not saying that, oh, like, yeah. as the encounters unfold that you should continually remind them. Once they have been given their fair warning, uh, it's sink or swim. Yeah, because to maintain this the thing in the yeah, you've got to, as a DM, definitely prepare your characters. But after the, a certain point, if they decide that they're going to stand and fight a, pa a pack of werewolves and they're third level, okay. let it happen. Absolutely I mean, that's, that's, that's it. You know, like don't don't pull any punches. Like if they see five werewolves coming up, well, we can handle it. We can handle it. Maybe. I mean, yeah, uh, dice could be, and maybe maybe the dice can be uh, they can be fickle, but uh, maybe they can also uh, fall short of your expectations. And I am going to say that uh, characters should be uh, uh, all right. Not characters, but the players should be. Cognizant of the fact that this version is less linear than some of the past versions. Right, and that's where it's, I was... Yeah. There are people who feel very much that they were handcuffed that. in the early editions. 
Not so here. The order in which things can be undertaken, obviously there is a single goal, much like the treasure room in any crypt in any other game of D&D ever. Okay, there are things that are chief goals that you will come back to later. But the linear nature of the adventure has radically changed, and we're about to highlight a section that Randy mentioned Yeah, I think is a terrific example of one of the encounter zones. Uh, and yeah, so there's also uh, um, a ruined mansion owned uh, formerly by uh, an, an ancient enemy of his, a silver dragon, Agron Vostholt, and that uh, is this, another key central encounter because... Of all the enemies Strahd faced, that was one that was particularly uh, telling. And, of course, going into the history of that would s spoil a little bit of the fun of reading it. But in here, there are the uh, old bone grinder and the uh, ruined mansion, as well as the wizard tower and the temple, the Ember Temple. Uh, they're filled with various types of creatures that you can use as the players explore them and are led literally by the bread trail of crumbs to the next MacGuffin. Which here, you know, until you get the Sun Sword, facing Strahd too early is pretty much a death sentence. The yeah. Sun Sword is the one item that gives you some breathing room. It will drive him off and hurt him, but only if you're the most powerful sword and have all three items do you stand a chance of using it effectively against him. So a lot of times, uh, as... Once you get these items, the game starts to change again, and it's what order the players decide to pursue them is the most important part. Yeah, for starters, Strahd starts, you know, taking you seriously, and this means that the minion attacks are going to be sizable and horrifying in nature. Yeah, so the Thomas Strahd is another one here that plays a big reveal, because a lot of the early stuff that Strahd's history was kind of left in a murky <clears throat> shroud. Of fog of all right. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was left in in a hazy mist. Yes, it was left that you're in, trapped in. Sure, and <laughs> it puts you in a position as a DM where you know more about this story than the players will ever find out. And the Thomas yeah. Rod here is helps you breach that. So I I really appreciate that, and I think. As a DM, you can play it up to some lore that you personally created or experiences you've had in a game. Use the Thomas Strahd to explain, maybe from a campaign where you fought Strahd in another edition or version of him, that uh, how it went for you. And that's a little bit of uh, legacy that you can leave your players with. Now, moving on. Uh, it also, as we said, it pays homage to the past. It also greatly departs. Um, this is an update for the 5th edition and it's well done, but it, a lot of it is still a basic, the same basic story, freeing the curse. And it's a lot of work for the DM. You have, the players can go anywhere, as Mike says in this one. So you have to be ready. That means having at least a passing knowledge of where to look, if not how to narrate exactly if the players decide to take a different path. And then scaling the encounters they have to be, a, you know, like, it, it's not as though... If you go to Area X, uh, the player too soon, the players will automatically die. Look, other than like the actual Castle Ravenloft, I don't feel like that should be uh, the way it unfolds. That you know, whatever else the player characters are doing as they travel around, slowly gaining levels, uh, they should be able to unravel plots uh, in different places. 
Now, there is a somewhat more linear approach in that, like, at least you have the starting villages in which they begin to get a background on the area. Uh, they begin to answer other people's calls for help. Uh, minor missions and small quests begin to unfold that allow them to get some precious experience, uh, gain the respect of some of the locals, and acquire contacts and information about where they should maybe go next. So the DM can coax the players into taking a not precisely linear, but uh, understandable course. Uh, right, a little bit more, a plot that's a little bit more, or a plot, a path that's a lot more structured and allows the DM and players to engage on a more reasonable level rather than willy-nilly. But going with what the players want to do gives a lot of this adventure the potential that it's due from the past because a lot of I feel older gamers in the classic era tried to nitpick at the railroad, and as Mike said, inevitably all roads lead to Rome. In this case, indeed, the all uh, choices in the dungeon lead to an encounter with a lich, with a treasure room. Yeah, you know, it, it just what is the material difference? You know, what uh, if, if your goal personally is the treasure, then all routes are going to lead to you tearing the stones out of that building until you find the treasure room. Uh, so. It's not, uh, I, I am known to complain about, you know, Bigfooting, especially in certain adventures where it is so monolinear uh, that, like, exceptional efforts are made to just hammer the players into position. Uh, the original Ravenloft may have been guilty of this to some degree. The Curse of Strahd era Ravenloft seems to have walked back from what I consider one of those cardinal sins and opened a lot of side quests and minor tasks to help the characters build up time and experience because this is, and they understood what they were doing, this is a campaign-level series. You know, this is a... But yeah, it has its potential. Uh, for players to start off at level mm -hmm. one, work their way up to a suitable level, and to acquire slowly and painstakingly all the ingredients they need to ward off Strahd and break the curse. Uh, much more subtle than it used to be, although <laughs> it still got the same main theme. So, yeah, all right, there's no getting around that, but I'm not going to pick on them for it. But when you've got a classic, stick with it. Well, in this case, I think that uh, we've, exhausted the, we've exhausted the absolutisms of People just didn't like being dropped into Ravenloft, like the DM's whim, and some people rebelled against that. I say, tough toenails, and that's just the way the ball bounces sometimes. <laughs> uh, the way that uh, Ravenloft should be used is kind of brutal. You should just inflict it on the players occasionally and let them have fun with it, because that's part of the shtick with it, is it has a certain aviance that lends itself, you're trapped here, and this is what you have to face. That's why it kind of takes you to an alternate realm outside of your campaign world that kind of puts you in that uh, black and white movie noir, a gothic-esque atmosphere is so that it can overplay those tropes. And not to, <laughs> not to muddy the waters a little with the uh, comparative analogies, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you land here unexpectedly and, you know, you, you got to go see the wizard. Uh, you got to find your hearts. Uh, your brain, uh, you know, and your, your courage and all that. You, you got to go find these things, and then you can get to go home, okay? But 
first you got to see who's behind the curtain. Right, uh, and so, so taking you on a nice journey. It's a classic. I like classic that they gave a lot more atmosphere and a lot more places to explore other than Castle Ravenloft. And, of course, other adventures have done that, too, in the past, specifically with any of them dealing with the realm of Barovia in the Ravenloft campaign setting. Now, uh, getting back to the structure, for some people, like Mike said, yeah, like structure could be a problem for some people, but preparation can alleviate that, and that's what uh, I think any call or any solution to having players just have an open-ended approach to anything helps. Just being prepared, being calm, and just, you know, fake it till you make it. No, wing it. Now, and I, I want you to reveal the curtain a little bit on the bone mill. Oh, well... Uh, Come on, open up. Tell them a little bit. Like, this is a horror aspect of this game. There are some horror Well, you know, any place that's uh, called the old bone mill ran by three night hags, boy, you're... you're you're in for it, so yeah. Um, in that area, I you know, I confess that at the certain uh, structure of it, I was really just attracted by the name, the old bone mill, and you know. But yeah, it's it's a literal horror show. I'm not. I kind of think that that's one of the charms of it is find out for yourself. The chilling reading of that helps set the pace for how you want to spring that on players. You're not going to give the big reveal then, huh? Well, go ahead. You're going to... No, no. All no. right. I, I, I kind of want to tease a little I, bit on that one because I think it's one of the joys of reading the book. Then. Okay, then I'm just going to give the trigger warning here to people that uh, in the Curse of Ristrad, they have added some strong horror elements oh, yeah. that are meant to shock. Okay, it's meant to be like these are incredibly evil creatures doing incredibly evil things, and let's not like dodge the bullet on that one. Uh, you know that. <laughs> so you will encounter some things in there where, I mean, if you have any very young players, you like if the, oh yeah, maybe Curse of Strahd is probably not for the like uh, elementary school crowd. Yeah, Just not to be it jerks about it. Like, oh, you can't handle it. There's no crying at D and D. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want to run this for young young folk. <laughs> there's no crying in D and D. I saw what happened with your fighter last week. I know there's a little bit of crying. <laughs> uh, that half ogre called you, or that half ogre called you, Susie. Oh, that's some nope. things you can't erase from a character sheet. Yep. Uh, there are elements in this that are wonderfully horrific. Uh, if you like that kind of thing. If you have anybody who is extremely squeamish, you may wish to at right, least diminish the descriptiveness that you use during that encounter. And that, you know, that's that's one thing is like, yeah, we talk about Session Zero, but again, that's what Session Zero is for. Is yeah. You set some parameters, like there will be some strong horror elements in this one. And from the original one, there were a few, but they were a little bit more, how can I say, um, off-scene horror. So... Yeah, I, I was reminded hauntingly of like the, the one book I refused to have in my house after I read it. Because uh, in reading some of the tidbits uh, in Curse of Strahd, I, I flashed back a little bit to the book Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright, uh, late 1980s, early Man, 1990s. I just talk about that book a lot. Early 1990s horror author. Uh, it was remarkable and terrifying. Yes, but in this case, um, yeah, I kind of want to leave the shock element for that. But if okay. you want, if you want to pull the, the, I'm not doing the trigger the big reveal, if you're not comfortable with it, I'm, I'm, with you, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm I comfortable. I think way. it was one of the things when I read it. It was like, well, then, 
Whoa. I see where so we're going. Thing. <laughs> so this yeah, is where you, this is going. Yeah, you you agree with me, but uh, I, I'm 100% okay with not doing the big reveal. So. Yeah, so, well. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I hope we didn't just tease yeah, well, you. Well, spoiler alert. Uh, Strahd's a vampire. And um, <laughs> there are bad people here. <laughs> you may want to stop them. Yeah, so anyway, we'll get to it, uh, uh, breaking it down. That However you play the campaign, however you come out on top of it, there are some great places and some allies like the Silver Dragon is... Yeah, yeah Arjun, it's, you know, you'll at least have some resources available to you uh, to uh, lend aid and advice uh, to your player characters. So that they're, These are sources... Not merely of just like information, but also uh, peppered throughout. There are some allies. I believe Esmeralda is uh, one of the characters that you, you may find the player characters working with. Yeah, um, Mata Ava. There are uh, a number Baba, of people who can. Lysaga, and of course, others. But um... yeah, Baba Yaga uh, appears in this too. The you know Baba Yaga's creeping hut. Uh, I'm called Baba Lysaga, of course. To yeah, Baba Lysaga. To to. Uh... Throw players off, but yeah, get a couple words out of there, and you're back to Baba Yaga. So, but uh, the creeping hut and the well, I hesitate to use the word neutral, but uh, it, it's more like the unaligned power uh, within. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are many opportunities for the player characters to gain at least the uh, help and our advice. Uh, of some fairly powerful allies that can equip them, heal them, teach them. You know, the DM has been given a lot of leeway. In yeah, in the course of the, the campaign, uh, players will definitely grow to uh, dislike Strahd immensely, and then <laughs> hopefully during that, learn to respect them and realize the nature of the curse. And so when they finally endure it, they're not just bringing peace to the land, but to him. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, as he's because he is a tragic character, and as easy as, as it is to hate somebody who just you know kicks you off the parapet when <laughs> <laughs> you're spider climbing on the side, <laughs> does a little flyby with a ten foot pow. Uh -oh. oh no, just uh -oh. stands on the top and Boop. kicks you off. That's why I know he has a size 11 Barovian. <laughs> what size was that shoe? Oh, it was a size 11. How did you know I got up close? I saw it up close. <laughs> Look, yeah, yeah. Uh, the maker's mark is imprinted on my forehead. Uh, and he has good taste in uh, cobblers. Yeah, it was fine leather. Uh, <laughs> loves fine leather products. Bad footwear, you know. I can't uh, believe him on that one. But yeah, and also we're going to talk about a couple things here, but we're going to close it out by saying that this is as good a campaign to play as any, and uh, I believe that there's, if I had one thing to really pull down about this one, it requires a high skill as a dungeon master. If this is your first outing and you're just wanting to grab something off the shelf, I would say prep up a little bit before this. Not trying to downcast anybody or say that this is a super difficult module. No. But the nature of how quickly uh, players can go off a path on this one requires a lot of prep work and adaptation by you as the dungeon master. Yeah, you're going to need the ability to finesse it. And so... If I were going to characterize this as a product, it would be for moderately to well-experienced uh, players and uh, game masters, rather than, like, this is 100% accessible for the new arrival. 
Yeah. Um, that would be an incredibly fair assessment, and I, I feel like that's a good caveat for you to have mentioned. Right, but if you're quick on your toes as a DM, then you'll be just fine with it. Uh, yeah. Don't let us over-talk that, too. I don't want to put too much else. No, but... this is not like, uh, okay, uh, learn Rollmaster's critical hit system overnight. No, it is not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> So there, and there's another thing um, about the Death House mini-adventure that's available there. Uh, Death House says the Curse of Strahd can be run from first uh, level if you do the Death House first. But if that's one of the cases where you can find it online or download it, um, why isn't it in the books? That's a minor criticism I heard. But I think that that is because they wanted to keep the module or the adventure as it was written pretty much set up. And since we're dealing with primarily the revamp set here, that's that's a big thing that I don't think uh, really hits in there. I like the uh, the new monsters, of course, were ravens. You know what we haven't had become a were creature. We got we're freaking were sharks and what next? Were catfish? I don't know. Just kidding. Uh, tree blights, band warriors, piddlewicks, were ravens, and everything else is in there. So that makes it handy for you to pull out without having to flip out. Uh, or flip through the book while you got it open to a particular part and have to bookmark it or, you know, look up a PDF real quick while you're gazing at one page. So that makes it handy to have in front of you. Uh, the Taroka cards are, as always, beautiful additions, and, you know, the, you, you'll find yourself uh, revisiting it again and again. I promise you. The Taroka card from the original Ravenloft uh, box set is a thing of beauty, and this one is outdoes it. And if nothing else, it pays a decent homage to the old ones. So, um, other props you can bring to the game, and there's a lot of people who have done some amazing work for crafting and other things for it. So I would su definitely suggest this is a module that calls for you to pull out your A game as a D uh, as a DM and maybe a little bit as an artist. So, you know, a lot of people just use miniatures and maps as their artwork. Uh, guilty as charged. Sure, but uh, this is one where you know you can craft a few things just looking around it uh, in the after Halloween sale aisle. Oh yeah, yeah, so marvelous place to find extra toys for uh, the table. They work out great. Uh, I I would like to take a brief moment, uh, and oh no, I it slipped my mind. Well, slipped your mind. Brief moment. Something slipping my mind, oh. like something falling. Like a gaze, like a gaze that holds me in thrall that I can't escape from because the inscrutable gaze of the arcane eye is now upon you and you find yourself trapped here with us. Oh, uh, forced to look at small independent projects across the gaming interweb sphere of geekdom, nerddom, and goonery. Yeah, so this week the arcane eye reveals roll call at... On YouTube channel, uh, pair of gamers there, uh, hosted by Michael Frazier and DM Tyler Ferguson, talk about their tavern talks and campaigns and all things D and D. Was it Michael or Mitchell? Mitchell, Mitchell. I'm sorry, Mitchell Frazier. So forgive me. Right on. They're from Alberta, so those Canadian gamers. Oh, Frostbacks, a lot of them. Yeah, I know what they're about. Oh yeah, here hey. we go. Yeah, but uh, they have a nice presence on Twitter as well. You can see there. there. <laughs> so, uh, you can catch those guys on YouTube. We'll put that link up in our uh, Facebook page so you can catch it as well. Make sure you check them out. They are a hoot and as well. Uh, sure thing, hey. Eh? They're 
extra cool folk and they work well with trying to keep the community and keep gaming alive in all its forms both new and old where we're kind of the older guys these are the kind of the newer guys and i really like their vibe so yeah check them out but now the arcane eye runs its duration and releases you back into your normality and yeah buzz off you hoser no nope. you know we try to be nice to people, and you do stuff like this. We love Canadians. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they totally get it. Uh, Upper Peninsula people and Canadians are just like spiritual twins. So, you know. <laughs> Michiganders, yeah. Oh. So anyway, yes. Uh, hopefully that brief respite allowed you to recall. Now, uh, <clears throat> uh, Van Richten. Yes. Yes, the, the vampire hunter. Fulfilling, like, the important archetypal role in the vampire mythos, uh, Van Richten. Uh, I, I was just going to throw out one total spoiler giveaway. Uh, for the the wise player, uh, will... Don't mess with his wagon. Just don't. Do not mess with Van Richten's wagon. You're thinking to yourself, he's a vampire hunter. He's probably got cool stuff we can use to whoop stride. Uh, you know what? Go ask him for it. You know, go enlist his aid. Actually work with him. Don't try to rob his wagon. So, <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, I, don't, don't, don't do it. I, I felt the need. I had to give some kind of spoiler. So, uh, but yeah, again, this is yet another character that has been placed within the player character's grasp uh, that can be enlisted as an ally, an educator, and a supporter. So yeah, uh, another spoiler alert: Strahd isn't the only vampire. Oh, in Barovia, <laughs> it's just, lousy with him. He is just the biggest and the baddest of them. But as the players become quite powerful, and by the time they're looking at being able to enlist the aid of Van Richten, they will be facing lesser vampires, uh, which even a lesser vampire is no joke in D and D. I mean, <laughs> that, that's still. If, if they're strong enough to be fending off minor vampires, they're very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, uh, I think that as a revisitation, this is probably a reimagining without taking away too much of the original inspiration. It's still the same basic story, and it plays pretty much the same, but it's plays differently. It hits differently, as the not the kids say today. It certainly shows the combination of respect for the original material and improvement upon it. Uh, yeah. Like expansion of and improvement upon the original material uh, combined with you know a suitable acknowledgement of the original. So I'm not displeased at all. Yeah, and I would like to let, add that as, uh, another thing was uh, a certain wag wrote that uh, they changed the look of Strahd so he was more modern. And, you know, the old Bela Lugosi type of Strahd I never really agreed with. I thought that was an overused trope. And uh, for years I kind of, I never liked that look of Strahd. And um, as a find, it turns out that the Hickmans envisioned Strahd completely differently than he was depicted by uh, the Caldwell. Oh. Uh, image. Uh, yeah, they didn't match uh, their their image of Strahd didn't match the Bela Lugosi kind of archetype much at all. Well, thank uh, you Tracy uh, Hickman found an old Dargo type 
the type of photograph that they put on silver. Oh, daguerreotype. Daguerreotype. I'm sorry. Sorry. They captured. Thank you. Um, they captured the look of Strahd in his mind, and uh, that one was the one he had. Of course, it was. You know, there's different reasons. I'm not saying that. Uh, you know, mean old Caldwell didn't listen to uh, Tracy and didn't follow his instructions. There's different things that happen, and, you know, it was a different era also. When I never artist... really worried about that. I mean, I, I was never particularly offended by any of the variable, uh, over the, the years, the variable depictions of Strahd. I, I kind of liked all of them. I always envisioned him like that, in, in it, a lot more... Uh, you come out of the old goth punk scene, and you love vampire movies. You know, I, I was kind of like, you had me at vampire. I'm already there. Sure, and I think... That they did a wonderful job on this one, um, on the new look of Strahd. So I to I'm totally down with that. Yeah, I don't think he looks particularly modern per se. Uh, well, I'm... let's say that I'm being very charitable in their words. Okay. So we'll just move on with that. All right. So yeah, we definitely walked around uh, this topic quite oh, a bit, and sure. uh, hopefully we gave you a little bit of insight. And yeah, I want to keep some things kind of tight because I'm gonna just say that when I saw that one, I peeked in and I'm like, you know what? This is one of those things where you definitely that is if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you when you find it, you soon will. <laughs> and then we'll both know a thing. So. Yeah, besides all that, I also think that it was a wonderful module uh, to revisit, and I think that they did a great job of it. So, yeah, I think they'll do it. So, our spooky season is almost done an end. One more to go, and Halloween will be behind us. So. Oh, oh, I'm yeah, always no. sad to see this season. Yeah, isn't it like a crazy five. thing that this season for us is <coughs> like it's the one thing that gamers get. The one you know, like yeah, yeah. There's Christmas and Easter, and those are fun seasons, and I enjoy them too. And I but, like Thanksgiving. You know, I, I love uh, you know the, the anything, pretty much any of the holidays where family gathers and dines. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel like whatever the seasonal holiday du jour may be, uh, yeah, it's that remnant of the uh, you know four seasons quarterly you know feasts that people once held. Uh, at the celebration of every season, and, and we still kind of do stuff like that. I love those. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the names change, yeah. the trappings change, but the idea is still at the heart. But Halloween, ah, man, it's for me, it's the best of the bunch. It's just so much fun because that's what it's built around fun. And that's why we go nuts every year. Like this entire month, like the entire month of October is always like us in extravaganza mode. We're like, uh, we're, we're literally. Doing nothing but stuff we are crazy enthused about. All right. Well, hey, that's going to do it for us. We hope you enjoyed us taking you along on a ride to the Mr. Ravenloft. If you've seen what is on our Facebook page at the Dice is Screaming, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, without further ado, we're just going to say that we really enjoyed you uh, listening. I hope you enjoyed it as well. We uh, enjoy our supporters, and as always, if you have any questions, of course, you can download the Anchor app and leave us a voice message, and we'll play it here on the, our little podcast and make you semi-famous. I don't even think famous is something. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll put your stuff on the air, because we love hearing from you. And, uh, of course, let us know what you think. But until the next time, may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.